0: I think the soft skills are often the lead indicators and the financials are often the lag indicators. And so we can be pushing. And I have, I've had this experience as well, where you push and push and push to get the numbers or to achieve the turnover that to you feels like it's success. You know, oh, when I make half a million, I'm going to feel really successful. When I've done this, I'm going to feel, you know, my first five figure, six figure project, I'm going to feel really successful. The difficulty is, is that if you don't have the understanding around psychological safety, and what success feels like for you as a human being, then you miss out on the alignment piece.
1: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David schreiner Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the founder of Oro Collective, Teresa Mitrovic. In today's episode, you will learn how the experience you are having as an entrepreneur is connected to the tangible performance outcomes you measure. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments, Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Teresa Mitrovic. Teresa is the founder of Oro Collective, a leadership learning consultancy, which helps leaders develop the skills to achieve exceptional outcomes while creating a culture they can feel proud of leading. She began consulting after a career in senior leadership roles with Hasbro, the Walt Disney Company, and Universal Pictures. Teresa has delivered keynotes and workshops and coached leaders from all walks of life. A recognized expert in psychological safety, trust, and performance, Teresa authored The Currency of Connection, How Trust Transforms Life, Relationships, and Work. Teresa, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, it's great to have you on. Tell me a little bit about your career. You know, besides this this sort of short synopsis that I just sure. just read to introduce you. Tell me a little bit more about you know how your career has has developed a little bit a little bit about the journey.
0: Sure, sure. So actually, bizarrely, when I first started out, to go right back to the to the start of my career, when I first went to study for a qualification, I started studying psychology. And uh, couldn't quite wrap my head around that. I was also a new parent at the time. So I switched to marketing because that seemed to be a lot about human psychology as well. And so from then on, I kind of, I landed in marketing and landed at, the, at Hasbro, which is an incredible company, um, particularly when you've got a young son, because there's a lot of free toys and games that's not coming your way. But I, um, so Hasbro was an incredible place. And actually one of the first places I really experienced this sense of a really strong culture and and the power of coaching and learning and development so that and I'll, and I'll circle back to that in a moment but that was that was really the start of my leadership career was leading the marketing team there and then to be honest I would have stayed there were were it not for for the knowledge that I really needed you know I I needed some growth if I didn't if I didn't leave and do something different then I would have happily stayed at Hasbro for you know, 20 years. And in fact, there are a lot of people at Hasbro who are called lifers because it's such a great company. And I think that's an incredibly rare thing in these days. It
1: is very rare.
0: <laughs> it's, it's super rare, right? So and it's, it's almost, you know, a unicorn status now. But from Hasbro, you know, at Hasbro i had the privilege and the luxury of representing these incredible brands. We also had the opportunity at Hasbro in New Zealand to secure third-party deals as well. So we could go beyond the Hasbro um, stable of brands and pick up other brands, which meant negotiating with third parties and gaining their trust and making sure that we could represent them adequately in the market. So it was interesting, but essentially I had this really kind of back office marketing role, which was really great. you know I, I was able to call the shots. And then when I went to um, the Walt Disney Company as country in a country manager role, the remit there was completely different. it was it was the extreme opposite of being back office and kind of working things in the background my role was to turn turn the business around in the NZ market, the New Zealand market. And to do that, I had to repair relationships that had been broken for the best part of six years. And so I had to suddenly learn the skill set around building deep relationships of trust with people and having to re-earn or earn people's trust so that they would be prepared to invest their time and their money with us and and their resources around, around marketing and promotion. So that taught me some incredible lessons around consulting, which I'd never really had to consider before because I'd always had, again, I'm going to say, use the word privilege, but I'd always had, you know, as a leader, I'd had the opportunity to lead with genuine authority. I had, people had a direct line into me. So if, you know, if I'd wanted to be 100% command and control, I could have done that. But when you're more in a consulting kind of a mode and working on relationships with people, you have to step back from that and understand how to partner with people and how to how to find that common ground, that shared goal that everyone is working towards. So you can't end up reverse engineering your entire way of working with people because suddenly you're leading without authority. So they don't have to follow you. They don't have to support you. You've got to earn it. And so that taught me some really big lessons because there was one guy I remember at, who, who was the country manager for the Mattel business in New Zealand. And because I was ex-Hasbro, there was no way he wanted to trust me. And so that was a really interesting experience, you know, kind of having to to really kind of from the ground up, build a relationship with this guy who two years later was was asking for my advice around how to work with the retailers to make sure that we had a deep in close partnership rather than us being suppliers and and, and then being retailers working in partnership, which is a very different mindset, right? Um, and, of course, when you've got that different mindset, the opportunity, the conversations that you have are very different. The degree of risk people take with you is very different. You've got more leeway to an extent. You know, like there's a lot more flexibility in the relationship. So that was an incredible learning curve. And then I ended up moving to London in 20 sorry, in 2009, which is when I joined Universal Pictures in London. And so um, I travelled up to London. My my husband is English by birth and wanted to go back there. So we went back there. And that was kind of what, uh, that, that was the point where I decided I'd always wanted to retrain to be able to do the work that I'm doing right now because I'd had a taste of it whilst I was at Hasbro. And I'd promised myself that once my son was 20, or I'd, you know, or I was comfortable with the mortgage or before I turned forty, I would retrain, and all of those things happened when I got to London. So I worked with with Universal, um, saw out my contract there, and then decided to throw myself one hundred percent into retraining as a corporate and leadership coach in London and setting up my business there. So, and it was only in that business that this experience of having had, having had coaching, you know, as a manager myself, and having to do a coaching as manager course at Hasbro, which I was dragged into almost kicking and screaming. I was so resistant to it. Not reluctant. I was resistant. So the experience of going through something that I really believed I didn't need, and then seeing the impact of it being so phenomenal in terms of the time, the money that it saved, the profit that it generated, but also the well-being impacts and the relationship impacts at work, everyone was so much more motivated. The morale was was remarkable. And our quality of work was incredible because I, think, I genuinely think that when people aren't stressed, when they're actually fully engaged and respected and have full autonomy in their role, the work that they do is much braver. It's much more creative. It's much more daring. And so everything kind of elevated. So I finally got this opportunity to combine that experience with my experience around consulting at the Walt Disney Company with these qualifications in leadership and uh, corporate coaching and that's how this business was born. But essentially, it was born in, in London in 2011. And and I grew it from, you know, everyone knew me as a marketing professional. So no one, you know, so here I was, a marketing professional, suddenly touting myself as a corporate and leadership coach in London. I had no network amongst businesses when it came to HR or learning and development professionals. So I really had to start from scratch there, but built a great thriving business over the five years that I I had my business in London and then we relocated back to New Zealand in 2016 and you know back then everything was face-to-face all of the work that I was doing was face-to-face coaching in-person keynote and in-person workshops and the same was true when we were in New Zealand and we were in New Zealand for two and a half years before moving across to Melbourne which is where we're based now and again everything was in person in New Zealand and when we came to Melbourne I actually took a bit of a break from my business because I thought, no, I've built two businesses in two different markets. I don't know that I've got the energy right now to build another business in a new market with no contacts. So I took a step of working with another consultancy until COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I volunteered to step back from the business so they could save some money, which I did. And I decided this was my opportunity to go fully online. And there started a journey of taking everything that I'd done in person and recreating it for an online experience so that leaders and their teams could get the kind of in-person experience that is really transformational, but online and in in a format and in really focused time windows so that they could actually get accessible, so that they could actually get access to learning and development materials that were going to help them to build a really strong, really connected, optimal functioning team wherever they were in the world. Because right through COVID, people were going home, You know, people who had temporary visas were going back to their home countries. We had, you know, there was so much uncertainty and so much fragmentation in workplaces that my focus was really 100% around how do we provide the support for people who are for leaders who are now going through this incredible, and not just leaders, but teams as well. But suddenly the entire world was going through the most extreme social experiment. And organizations were doing two years worth of transformational IT work in two weeks, you know, so they could get everyone safely off, you know, safely back in their homes and and still working. So there were these huge systemic pressures at play. And really what I wanted to do was be able to support leaders in still maintaining the ability to very clearly set vision, create alignment and oversee execution, no matter where their teams were based around the world, and do it whilst creating a culture that still held that same sense of connection. Because one of the first things people worry about when when teams aren't working together is this fragmentation of the culture. So understanding how to create the connection and culture and that sense of being together, even when you're apart, is also really important.
1: Teresa, congratulations on taking your own unique combinations of skills and experiences. And with every step in your career journey, you you went deeper with something that you were really good at and, and uh, looking for ways to create greater impact. I also am listening to and kind of admiring the courage that you, you've you had to step as you've followed what seems like a a more like look, looking back on it, I can see how the dots are connected in terms of what you followed and why um, in terms of where you're going deeper and how you were going to be serving people more deeply in your in your work. You also had the courage to go into vastly different business experiences for your own business. right? So going from the experience of working with major corporations from the inside to suddenly being in your own business and then taking what you did in the UK in your own business. And doing something in a totally new market where you had to start from scratch in New Zealand and then going to Australia and again, making a pivot in the way you were actually implementing what it is you were really good at. That takes a lot of courage.
0: Well, thank you. I think, I think I I was raised by, uh, and and my father is Croatian and he's, I think he's got that, he ran his own business as well, but I think there is this fighting spirit when you've, when you've immigrated to the other side of the world, which I think is really inherent and it's been passed on to me. But I think there's also something around, um, you know, when you know what it is that you want to do, when your why is really strong. And and my why came from the fact that I, I was absolutely an A-type leader who thought that I, everything that I was doing was absolutely okay and we were making our numbers and, yes, it was hard and we worked some long hours and sometimes we'd have to work weekends, but, you know, that was just the drill. And so when I very reluctantly went through that coaching as a manager course and thought that it was all ridiculous, but put it into practice anyway, I realized how much how much I didn't know about the possibility that was on the other side of, like I had this this real mo- this aha moment of, wow, leadership can be like that. Leadership can be fun. It can be really engaging. It's not just about me having to have all the answers and direct everything and kind of orchestrate My responsibility is to make sure that I'm setting this really clear vision that I then help the team really embrace and understand and share a role in achieving, I help them understand what their role is in doing that. And then we all, you know, we talk a lot about belonging, right? But it's really true that we need to feel like we're part of something so that we can commit. If we don't, we're not going to commit to things we don't feel a part of. So I learned so much by having that experience that, you know, and it gave me so much, not just as a leader, but as a single parent as well. was working two hours less every day and I was so much happier at work which made me a better parent as well so that made for an incredibly strong why that has kind of carried me all the way through until now and so and it's interesting how when you're very strong about your why and who you are within it and and the value that you bring to doing that work the modality and how you do it where you do it and through what means and with whom that can shift, but that core of why you're doing the work and who you are always remains the same.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you created the psychological safety for yourself when you made some of these major career transitions where you had to had to build business because let's face it, going from a mid to high level position in a corporate environment where you're you have a full calendar, you have this huge staff structure, you have the social structure.
0: You put all the funding.
1: You have the funding, people always need you. Yeah. To like right, going out on your own, where yes, you're really good at what you do, but you still have to get up and market and sell something you've never had to sell before, namely yourself. Right. And and you, you know, you, you start out with an empty book of business. It it could be quite daunting. So how did you create the psychological safety that you needed to feel comfortable doing that?
0: So there is so much that I would love to respond <laughs> to that <laughs> question with, but I'm going to try and, and, and hone it down to just a couple of points, which is what I did to create safety for myself, because psychological safety is incredibly subjective, right? My sense of psychological safety is going to be really different to yours and what yours looks like. And that's, that's based on all of our experiences up until this point. It's based on our worldview. And I've had a lot of adversity. In my, I had childhood, some serious childhood abuse for many years um, I was a teenage mum and my first marriage was really abusive. And so I've had all of these kind of very um, character-building experiences, if you will. And so all of these things impacted on my psychological safety. And you're right. When you go from, and you mentioned the word earlier when we are offline, the corporate cocoon, oh my word, you've got no idea what I feel. You know, like when you've gone from a corporate cocoon into your own thing, you suddenly realise just how steep that learning curve is going to be. And it's very slippery. So what I did was I made the transition easier for myself by working with people that I already knew. What I did to keep my psychological safety was I made sure that I was really clear about what my comfort zone looked like, what my stretch zone looked like and what my panic zone looked like. And to be really clear with you, in that first year, and probably for the first couple of years, I operated in my stretch zone, but to varying degrees. So sometimes I was tipping over into panic and I could feel it. And so I would either make a call on whether or not that panic was justified strategically, which sounds like a very strange thing to say, but if I knew that I was building this long-term, you know, I'm building this long-term pathway, if I'm doing that, if this, if speaking at this gig is giving me a panic attack right now, but it's a really fundamental brick in this pathway of my growth as an entrepreneur, but also the growth in the business, then I'll make a decision to take it. And that's the commitment that I'm making to myself and to my business. And so that gave me the, because I've made a commitment, that gave me some safety. But the most important thing for me, in making that transition is to A, see it as a transition. So it's not forever. It's a small window of time. And that small window of time could be six to 12 months, but it's a transition. It will eventually pass. My responsibility is to stick with it and to understand what safety and risk looks like for me. So really understanding what what safety felt like for me and what degree of stretch I was prepared to take. Because psychological safety feels like your comfort zone, but as an entrepreneur, you you can't hang out there because you'd never be growing your business or yourself. And so, <laughs> which, is which is the irony, right? So being, becoming an entrepreneur is like constantly doing difficult things and constantly delaying gratification and constantly being uncomfortable and then rinse and repeat, you know, because every time you're growing, because the only time you stop going through those experiences is if you stop growing. So the safety comes from knowing what does safe feel like to me, what does stretch feel like to me, and what constitutes panic. And how do I step, if I'm, if I'm an entrepreneur who's in growth mode, how do I stay in that stretch zone with safety? Does it mean, so for me, I mean, I could step into that and build a business from scratch in a city where no one knew me. And London is very competitive, let's make no mistake. But I had, I'd met a lot of people through my work at Universal Pictures. So I started talking to them about what I was doing and I started there. So people who already knew me, people who with whom I had credibility and connection, they gave me the opportunity to start doing some work where I could start to then demonstrate my competence, my capability. So that was how I started to make the transition and how I kept how I kept that sense of psychological safety throughout because it was kind of the unusual thing is that you've got to, when, when you're in stretch mode, you've got to be able to keep recalibrating, if you like, so that you, every time you are, learning new skills or you are you you have a success you have a win or you do something that previously felt very very tough and you do it confidently and you do it successfully and the client's really happy you've got to be able to you've got to be able to to consolidate that experience so that it makes you stronger so that you keep banking all of that good stuff so you're like okay i'm on the right track because in the same way that we talk about leaders thinking about vision alignment and execution we've got to think about that on our own journey as well what's my vision How am I aligned to that and how do I execute? And so constantly recalibrating around those things. Am I still on track with my vision? Did that work really feel good? Like what made that work feel really good? What made it feel really uncomfortable? And How do I improve that going forward? So I think one of the ways I've protected my psychological safety through my entire career is always recalibrating and going, did that feel good? Did it not? Did I feel safe? Do I feel stronger through the experience? And if not, then what can I take from the experience that's going to help me feel stronger or help me feel more prepared next time around? So it's this current, it's this constant cultivation of your own sense of psychological safety.
1: You know, as I'm hearing you describe this, Teresa, I'm, I'm thinking about the importance of, you know, when you're executing on your, whatever your plan is, making sure that you're clear what your metrics are for success and then... Absolutely. Constantly reviewing your metrics Pivoting your plan accordingly before you take the next step, and I, and I'm I love the way you described as a a metric that you're paying attention to, being really clear on the interplay between psychological safety, risk, and growth, mm. and those are metrics that not everybody necessarily focus on. They may may focus on much more. Uh, I would say sort of concrete, you know, what most people look at as as key performance indicators for business, but you're you're looking at metrics around. A combination of of soft skills and um, concrete, absolutely right, financial outcomes.
0: Absolutely, I think there's real risk in focusing on only one. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I think the soft skills are often the lead indicators, and the financials are often the lag indicators. And so we can be pushing. And I have I've had this experience as well, where you push and push and push to get the numbers or to achieve. The, the, you know, the turnover that to you feels like it's success. You know, oh, when I make half a million, I'm going to feel really successful. When I've done this, I'm going to feel, really, you know, my first five-figure, six-figure project, I'm going to feel really successful. The difficulty is, is that if you don't have the understanding around psychological safety and what success feels like for you as a human being, then you miss out on the alignment piece. So you miss out on the feeling of personal growth, personal success, personal impact that you're able to have And so it just becomes, you know, it's, it becomes all those little success measures, those KPIs become almost meaningless targets because they don't actually change your experience of the world. They just look good to the outside world, but it doesn't make you happy. So
1: Correct. It can leave you with, with tremendous emptiness.
0: Correct. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges, you know, one of the biggest challenges of being an entrepreneur, I think, and you know, there are many, but one of them is, When you first become an entrepreneur, you are very well aware of the fact that if you're not bringing in the money, you don't eat. So there's not... Pretty much, yeah. Right? So you've got to be, you're no longer a cog in a machine. You are the entire machine. And so suddenly it's not just about the work, you know, so my work isn't just about the work that I do. I've also got to market and sell and think about it from that perspective, you know? So you end up becoming the entire, you have to think about all of these things in the round. And it can be, if you're not careful, you can overinvest in the metrics and underinvest in the experience that you're having, and how you're showing up as a human being. And that's particularly or particularly important when you're running a service business, as I do, because how I show up for my clients is really important. Particularly when I'm talking about the kind of work that I'm talking about, which is trust, psychological safety, and performance. But you know, long story short, they should all sit. They're part of an ecosystem. So we need to focus on performance because those are tangible outcomes, you know, those, those tangible outcomes like number of clients or a peak business or turnover numbers. Those are all really easy things to look at. But if we're not paying attention to the experience that we're having and the experience that we're creating and sharing with others as we achieve those, then we're only looking at half of the picture. And we can end up very burnt out as entrepreneurs if we just focus on the end game, which is the numbers.
1: Well said. Teresa, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience with community as it relates to your own business?
0: Expand a little bit on your, on your thoughts around community.
1: How has your interaction with a particular community or communities over the course of your career impacted your own growth?
0: Oh, this may be a factor of, of, of how you find me today, but I think the most important thing about community when you're an entrepreneur is being a part of a community that is on the same journey as you. So for me, when I think about community, I think about community in two respects. One is the community that I, the community around me that I am in service of, and the other is the community that I'm a part of, and those are two very distinct things for me. But
1: what's the difference between the two?
0: So I, when I think about the community being the network of people that I serve, I'm thinking about the wider population, so clients, their businesses, the wider population, information that I can share through content-based marketing around. You know, here are the tips for building trust, for understanding psychological safety, for thinking about psychologically safe performance. You know, what does that look like? How do we get there? How do we how do we hold the soft skills and the hard stuff all in, in both hands and actually navigate that well? So it's about how do I educate and create this movement around embracing both psychological safety and performance. So I think about it from very uh, global kind of terms, and when I think about community as a community of like minds and people that are on the same journey as I am, I think about the importance of being part of a group of people who have a very clear vision, are aligned, not just intellectually with that vision, but also emotionally and physically with that that vision. It's something that means something significant to them and they're in it boots and all and they're doing it from a place of contribution and growth and impact for the entire, for the communities that they work in, the entire globe, not just themselves, But I think the importance of, when you're an entrepreneur, I think the importance of community isn't just about the community that you see, but it's about the community that you share your time with. The community, the people that you have around you who are helping you to challenge your thinking and challenge your assumptions, helping you to see the world from different angles so that you can see opportunities or risks that you hadn't seen previously. Because when when you leave that corporate cocoon, you have to create your own team. You've got to create your own community of people around you. And that community becomes your reference point. So if you don't have a community around you that's helping you to grow, then you don't have reference points around you that are helping you to continually stretch and develop and find your way. Um, So you've got to be really careful about the people that you choose to be with.
1: Well said. Teresa, is there anything that um, I haven't asked you that you want to share before we
0: close out? You know, I feel like we could talk so much more about (laughs) all (laughs) these topics. I think the only thing that, I think there's one thing that I, that, that, I would love to, to just touch on, which is a really easy model of trust that's helped me tremendously. And I wrote about it in my book, but it's the four C's of trust, which is what do you do and who are you being? So what you do is about competence and consistency. So are you good at what you do and can you do it with regularity? And then on the who you are side, uh, connection and credibility. So do you actually care about and understand and, and, and listen? Do you listen to other people or do you listen to reload? And then the credibility piece, you know, do you follow through on what you say you're going to do, or is there quite a big say-do gap? And I think that that as a mental model, when you are in any relationship, whether it's with yourself, with a client, with you know, with your significant other in your private life, your kids, whomever it may be, that's a really good way to think about how you're showing up for them and, and and how you're showing up for yourself. So if there was one thing I could I could offer people in terms of, you know, a little tip as they navigate entrepreneurship, it's around how are you creating or how are you demonstrating to yourself when it comes to self-trust or to others when it comes to, you know, de- earning trust as a leader, how are you demonstrating competence, consistency, credibility and connection? And what does that what does that look like to you? What does it look like to your stakeholders? And how do you stay aligned to that? Because when you stay focused on some of those, you know, very difficult soft skills, the KPIs, those metrics become infinitely easier to achieve.
1: Well said. Thank you for sharing that. Teresa, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything that you've shared or access any resources that you have, where would be the best place for them to go?
0: So we've set up a landing page for listeners. So it's aurocollective.space forward slash smashing the plateau. And on that page, they'll find a $75 discount for any courses that they want to buy. If There's a range of different online courses there. But there's also a, a little gift that I wanted to give people, which is a free copy of Self-Trust, which is an excerpt, a whole section out of um, the currency of connection in my book. And of course, the best way to stay in touch with me is to, to follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where you'll see everything that I'm doing.
1: Sounds great. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share um, some tidbits from your vast experience and, uh, and the depth of your knowledge. My guest today has been the founder of Aura Collective, Teresa Mitrovic. Thank you, Teresa, for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me, David. It's been wonderful to talk to you.
1: When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Teresa Mitrovic, we learned how the experience you are having as an entrepreneur is connected to the tangible performance outcomes you measure. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.